The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. So making it home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. At participating McDonald's. The Leslie Marshall Show. The only true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. on podcast and all the places you get to hear us, iHeartRadio, um, iTunes, uh, TuneIn, uh, Apple, everywhere that the show can be found, which is pretty much everywhere that you can find any talk show. And also thank you for watching because we like you to see as well as to hear what's going on. Thank you for watching on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and Twitter's Periscope Live. Welcome. Good to have you with us. We are one day away from the inauguration of uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, first woman to be in the White House, and uh, the President-elect Joe Biden. We'll be doing a special edition of the Leslie Marshall Show tomorrow to cover that and to uh, go over what is going on inside our nation's capital uh, tomorrow as a new president uh, takes over after four years under the presidency of Donald J. Trump. In this hour, we have with us Roy Hausman. Mr. Hausman is legislative director for the United Steel Workers. He's been a part of the union's legislative and policy department. He's been doing that since 2011, working on a broad array of issues. Those include trade and pensions. And before he was in D.C., he worked at the former Smurfett Stone Paper Mill in Missoula, Montana, serving as president of USW Local 885. After a trade-related mill closure in 2010, he completed a master's of public administration degree from the University of Montana using trade adjustment assistance benefits. Now, his efforts on aiding steelworkers qualify for trade adjustment benefits. It has qualified, get this, over 10,000 union members across the country for work training because of trade impacts. And by the way, he was last on the show, 2019, what's taken us so long to get him back? We have to have him back before two years. He gave a great interview. We are so excited to have him back. In the meantime, during the breaks, check out all the great things that the USW do for our nation with their essential workers and for their workers. And maybe you'd like to be one of them. Go to USW.org on Twitter. Follow them at Steelworkers and follow Mr. Hausman at Roy Hausman, just like it sounds, R-O-Y-H-O-S-E-M-A-N. Roy, thank you for being with us. Or if you prefer Mr. Hausman, good afternoon and welcome back to the show. Oh, no, it's great to be on, uh, Leslie. And of course, you can call me Roy. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, good, good. You look like too young to be called Mr. Hausman, right? <laughs> I can well, a- see you're a bike enthusiast in the back there. That's that's why you keep uh, that youthful look. Um, <laughs> there's so much. There's so much to talk about. I mean, we have a changing administration, and whenever an administration changes, there are changes that can definitely impact the American worker, and specifically unions who help so much the American worker in in, in so many areas. Whether it's wages, it's health care, um, and and with COVID. 
a plethora of other issues. Um, the campaign for Joe Biden centered on calls for pro-worker legislation, and that legislation would strengthen organizing rights and increase unionization rates in workplaces. Now that the American people have voted into office a candidate who actually, if you look at it, ran on the strongest pro-worker stance in decades, his administration has the opportunity to advance the interest of working people through several uh, legislative and policy initiatives. Um, so let, let's break that down and let's look at, you know, the short term. First off, Joe Biden, president-elect, said he indicated uh, he will immediately pass relief aid for workers in the form of direct payments. That's to curb the economic depression felt by the working class during the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you speak to a few things? One, how much confidence do you have knowing that the president now has a majority in the House and the Senate that this will get done? And how necessary is this for individuals? Unemployment's high, but for some people, even if they're working, they still need this additional assistance, these additional benefits from the government. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is one of the uh, amazing things about kind of coming into a, you know, a, a table clearing moment with the Dem uh, Democrats kind of getting uh, control of the Senate, even at the slimmest of margins. Um, you know, having this ability to have a discussion on, you know, f getting money into people's pockets um, through this, co you know, because of this COVID crisis has really been such a key piece. Um, and it's it's not just a short-term economic re relief aid that has to be done because until we get enough uh, vaccinations done to ensure that the country is safe and then we reduce the death rate. I mean, earlier today, the news about uh, surpassing 400,000 deaths is just a traumatic experience for so many people. And this is what's so keen about um, Biden's effort is his experience in the Senate is going to help hopefully bring a little bit more bipartisan cooperation. Mm. Um, while at the same time, we have that um, solid wall in the House, it may be a thinner um, margin than it was um, in the last Congress. But there's a strong commitment um, from the speaker, from Speaker Pelosi, to move forward on leg relief legislation on COVID, and then also on several things that could just propel us moving forward. I mean, increasing the federal minimum wage um, to $15 an hour is a key priority of this camp of the Biden campaign, and now soon to be Biden administration, and the ability to lift wages for the bottom of tens of million millions of workers is just a key part to getting started. On, on, this, on these initiatives of, you know, ensuring vaccination, ensuring people can maintain their living standards and uh, living at home uh, and maintain their homes. I mean, and then ultimately uplifting uh, millions of people who, you know, are working hard every day just to try and um, make ends meet. Absolutely. You spoke of, uh, read my mind, uh, mm -hmm. second question I was going to have was regarding that uh, increase that the federal minimum wage would be $15 an hour. That helps unions at the bargaining table, doesn't it? I mean, that helps the argument that, look, the minimum wage is $15 an hour. you got to be paying our employees higher than that. Uh, they're not entry-level minimum wage uh, workers. Um, so so, so does, that, does that get you excited for future negotiations with corporations um, when, it, when it comes to, uh, you know, coming up with new contracts and wages for the union employees? If if that does come to pass, which with a Democrat House and Senate looks likely. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where it's really fascinating on worker rights. And I think this is where we're going to have a lot of fun is that, you know, this last Congress in the House of Representatives, we were able to pass the um, PRO Act. 
And um, this is large labor reform. Joe Biden in his campaign promises indicated that he wanted to move forward at this to increase bargaining power for workers. And I think that, you know, we've, we've seen what's happened for bargaining power by the Trump administration over the last um, four years where they undermined um, federal collective bargaining rights for a whole bunch of public sector workers. The same workers who are uh, responsible for ensuring you have clean air, clean water, um, you know, uh, ensure you have, you know, workplace protections. Um, think about all of the, you know, the efforts to try and ensure COVID safety and the lack of the administration's effort at all to issue even an emergency temporary standard for OSHA standards so that you would know, so employers would have certainty and workers would have certainty over what is the safe protocols for COVID. And, you know, same, same with MSHA for minors as well. And so, like all of these pieces come together um, in a in a way that not only will um, you know this administration has the ability to kind of really move forward on, but it's going to help us in a bargaining situation as well. And it's helpful to actually have an administration that wants to ensure that employers and workers um, have any you know a more equitable distribution of uh, of the benefits that has been has been ongoing over for the long for the long term. And EPI, the Economic Policy Institute, has indicated for years about this um, massive trans, uh, divergence between productivity and wages um, here in the U.S. And ultimately, we need to tackle that. And I think that that's one of the great things about the Biden administration is that they actually want to address it, and they have. And there's policy proposals that have passed the House of Representatives, and hopefully now with the with a Democratic control in the Senate, we'll be able to maybe move some few more of those over the line. And not just move them over the line, get them voted on, right? Not yeah. sitting in the uh, graveyard uh, of which uh, the Grim Reaper, uh, Mitch McConnell, when he was Senate Majority Leader, and he will be very, very for well, less than 24 hours now uh, yeah. that that he has sat on. You know, because it's such a pro-worker legislation. Uh, campaign, um, you know, we know that union workers vote vote both Democrat and Republican, those inside and outside the USW, right, uh, various unions. But I am wondering, with um, the pro-worker legislation, are, are you hearing among your ranks more enthusiasm uh, for this administration coming in, regardless of the fact Joe Biden's a Democrat? Because some of them voted for Donald Trump. So I, I think that, oh, hold you know, that, hold oh. that. I'm, I'm seeing that we got 30 seconds and I don't okay. want to give you 30. When we come back, we'll have you answer that. And I have more questions. Uh, and you don't go away. If you're going to go away in the meantime and you're still at your computer, go to USW.org. Also follow Roy on Twitter at Roy Houseman, R-O-Y-H-O-S-E, excuse me, R-O-Y House, H-O-U-S-E-M-A-N. And a Twitter for the Steelworkers is at Steelworkers. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back with Roy. We'll be back with you. We'll talk more about the Biden pro-worker agenda right after this. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Marshall, welcome or welcome back. I gotta tell you guys something very funny. Uh, Roy Hausman, who's legislative director, that's not funny for the United Steelworkers, <laughs> is here uh, with us. Like I said, follow him on Twitter at Roy Hausman. Follow the Steelworkers at Steelworkers and go to the website usw.org. Now, I don't know if you can hear everything in the background that's going on with me, but when I was on national television today, um, my dog, our dog, 
uh, got out of the area he was in and was barking outside the dog and they at the door and they had to uh, reduce my they had to mute me. And then during the break, I had to run and put the dog back. And just now, right before we came on, I don't know if you can hear my the, the dog is barking. My son was knocking on the door. Working from home with children doing school from home. My, my dog just had surgery, so he can't come outside. It's a bit challenging. <laughs> it's a it's a bit challenging. Um, anyway, Roy, thank you for holding a welcome back. Um, uh, definitely our work lives uh, have changed the way our offices look. I had somebody say to me, hey, I have that same office. How come I've never seen you in there with my fake background? <laughs> I thought that was cute. Um, I was asking you if there is some excitement from um, the uh, people within the USW, the the workers in this union, uh, because of the pro-worker legislation that this campaign, Joe Biden's campaign, is centered on, even if some of those people are Republicans or had, had voted for Donald Trump. I say that because Joe Biden, although loved by the working class and, and by unions, is a Democrat. And there are many there are many in the USW, in unions, in the working class that voted for Donald Trump. Yes. Um, I mean, ultimately, this is a question of bringing together in unity, right? And I think that's the one wonderful thing is like with our members, you know, I've spoken with many of our members who are Republicans as well. And at the end of the day, they kind of come down onto, you know, the policies that support to them. And I, you know, I got to do a bit of campaign work in, in October and being, you know, talking to members one on one on the phone. And I actually I was in Montana doing some, uh, con- you know, um, distance uh, canvassing and having this opportunity to kind of talk with members. And it is like there is a diverse range of opinions out there. And right now, with all of the various media and hyper you know, tension and that's kind of out there and obviously events happened the last two weeks um, that go without saying um, it, I, our members are ready to just see action. And I think they see they want to see action on infrastructure. They want to see action and make sure their retirement's safe. And that they want to see action so that the benefits that they have are enjoyed amongst more workers. And I like, you know, that doesn't that doesn't mean it has to be a Democrat or a Republican proposal. And I think that that's where we're going to kind of come down again and again on the issues. And our members are going to engage um, you know, with the, with their elected representatives and push them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Before the break, we talked about short term. Uh, let's mm-hmm. look at some of these, uh, uh, you know, proposals to support workers long term. Um, there would be a number of pro-worker policies that have been championed by uh, the USW and the labor movement um, that is being, you know, touted about you know, by this administration. One would be increasing retirement and health care. Specifically, they want to do it by strengthening that Social Security trust fund, which people keep saying is, you know, going to run out of cash, lowering drug costs, replenishing the Medicare trust fund, which some people, uh, you know, uh, you know, certainly have concerns about. I know I do. You probably do. And uh, protecting the pension funds, ding, 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 of millions of working Americans. Um, can you speak to this? Because you know, really, the past four years, a lot of people have been frightened that their their pensions would be stripped from them. Yes, um, you know, this is something we've really engaged in over the last few years. Steelworkers have um, over two hundred sixty thousand members and retirees in multi-employer pension plans, and you know, in all sorts of those plans, some are super healthy and doing fine. Other plans. Um, you know, they've been impacted by the 2008 crisis, um, you know, this, the COVID crisis, 
and and then also just changing demographics in the industry. Um, sometimes our major manufacturers, we saw huge job reductions after the 2008 recession, and we never saw those jobs really come back. And so that hits a pension fund really hard. And so, you know, we've been working with Congress over the last five plus years to try and find a solution where these plans, um, you know, they don't have the same access to capital that, you know, a lot of this COVID relief legislation provided for banks, for big companies and others. And so we're just trying to find a solution where, you know, when they've given out hundreds of billions of dollars for large corporations and, and, and banks, we're talking about $54 billion, roughly, more or less. And that $54 billion would be spread out over amongst, uh, you know, over 10 million retirees who are going to help ensure that their pensions are maintained and safe. And that that, you know, will also reduce the liability for a number of our employers. And so that it's good for the business so that they can, you know, move forward. And then for our workers and retirees, it's a little bit more certain. And that goes with the and that's just the steel workers level. When you start to go broader and you start thinking about the Social Security Trust Fund, where COVID has impacted a recent Congressional Budget Office report indicated that you're, you see a reduced window of um, Social Security solvency because of the COVID crisis and what Donald Trump did to try and um, you know, take uh, employees off of the, the payroll tax rolls. And I think to those sorts of policies, we have to start pressing back and we have to start pushing this idea that our Social Security Fund has lifted millions and millions of people out of um, poverty and continues to maintain them out of poverty. And with um, when one in four Americans have less than $400 in savings, that Social Security Fund is so key. Um, and so that's something that our union has been a longtime advocate. I have been going through old books and even on our second convention in 1940, uh, it was 1952, I believe, they were talking about preserving, strengthening, and ensuring Social Security. So this is an agenda item that our members have believed in from their founding all the way till today. And I'm just, you know, it's something that we know that we have to push Congress on in the right direction. And um, it's the same with our Medicare funds. Um, the ability for Medicare to exist and um, and it's such a positive benefit uh, and such a reduced healthcare cost relative to like private insurance, we need to find ways to A, strengthen the existing program as is, and B, find those right methods of ensuring that maybe we incorporate more workers, maybe we lower that Medicare age a little bit to get the those that are close to retirement and maybe have the means and are capable of retiring but are holding on for just their health insurance um the capability to move on and retire with ease and allow younger workers then to kind of come into that workforce so. um, also i'm wondering with this does it give you uh you know a, as a you know representative in the usw and the workers within the union more confidence that they're not going to have to wait till 70 to get those benefits because that was being talked about a great deal pushing the retirement age and especially workers that do physical labor are saying are you kidding me oh yeah no when you work uh you know look i worked five years in a paper plant and you know when you're operating heavy machinery and running up and down the line trying to ensure that a, a production facility that's as long as a couple football fields and as wide as a couple semi-trucks maintains a parent role of a few tons you know you your body is taking punishment at 12 hours a day a lot of times and that's what many of these manufacturing workers experience um so 
I think it's absolutely important that we uh, we try and not only think about this from a top level, but we start working down. So. Absolutely. He saw the 30-second warning. Look at you. That's called <laughs> the post, my friend. You did that very well. We're going to be back with Roy Hausman, Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers. Go to usw.org. Check out the website. Follow them on Twitter at Steelworkers and follow Roy at Roy Hausman on Twitter as well. I'm Leslie Marshall. When we come back, we'll talk more about legislation the Biden administration is proposing to help the working class, union and otherwise. Don't go away. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets. back. Hey there, I'm Leslie Marshall and he is Roy Hausman. He is Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers. Like I said, follow him on Twitter at Roy Hausman, the Steelworkers at Steelworkers and go to usw.org. A lot of really good, interesting stuff there and uh, it's smart for you uh, to do that. Um, we, uh, Roy, thank you for holding and, and welcome back. Um, look, the likelihood of any uh, proposal set forth, a uh, legislation that's being proposed by uh, tomorrow will be president now today, President-elect Joe Biden is is obviously, um, you know, you know, more promising for him and anybody who likes is an advocate of his policies, especially the pro-working class policies because of the Democratic majority in both the House and the Senate. So uh, passing this legislation is a more likely and b passing this legislation will protect fundamental rights uh, for people. Um, let's talk about a couple of areas. And first, I want to talk about the protecting the right to organize, the PRO Act. We've talked about it briefly on this show before. Um, this is the most comprehensive pro-labor law since the National Labor Relations Act back in 1935, and it would give workers more bargaining power on the job. Tell us about this and and, and tell us why does it take so long? I think anybody knowing something written in 1935, looking at how different um, our the landscape of our nation is, not to just mention the demographics and with technology, how, you know, workplaces have changed. You know, this this should have been changed a long time ago. So talk to us about the PRO Act. Sure. You know, so the PRO Act, you know, labor has long sought to improve um, labor rights in, in the U.S. Because, you know, here's the thing is the National Labor Relations Act, the formative document for our, um, you know, for labor organizing in the U.S., it, it, it is. It's, you know, it was 1935 and it has seen court case after court case uh, just poke at it. And then, of course, there's been some laws, um, Taft-Hartley, um, particularly that undermined another a huge segments of bargaining. And so the PRO Act is really this reestablishment um, of basic labor rights for workers here in the U.S. And, and some things that are already there, like there are penalties for um, employers right now if they violate um, organizing drives you know, and, and break the law. But those penalties are insufficient. I mean, they really, you know, we have a plant, uh, Kumo Tire, um, you know, where there's been an effort to organize that plant for over three years now. And one of the penalties there for a worker who was a lead organizer and who was fired, um, you know, was to put up a poster um, you know, not not bring that employee back, you know, not bring those items, you know, those are those kinds of examples where 
day in, day out, workers want to form a union. They have the capability. They sign cards and they want they vote and they win in an election. And then they still companies still won't bargain right or they will fight workers there 24 seven in the job site. And so we have, you know, the protecting right to organize really it does a few key things. It increases the penalties on worker uh, on worker violations for uh, union elections. It um, reestablishes the workers um, ability to like picket uh, on issues related to their job site. Um, it eliminates, um, you know, these state right to work laws in a way that makes sense where it highlights for example, workers' ability to, you know, enter into a contract in, with their employer. That doesn't that doesn't need state intervention there. That's a federal it's been a federal right for decades. And it's time to recognize that every worker that participates in the in the union um, can, you know, help pay and contribute to ensure that their bargaining power is established over the long term. And so just a few of those pieces there, just in the PRO Act alone, are ways that we see labor law moving forward into the 21st century. And there's this thing called the ABC test to ensure like workers, you know, sometimes you have two workers standing next side by side next to each other. One's an implant employee, the other is a temp, temp worker, mm -hmm. but the manager doesn't really care one way or the other. And for those workers, they deserve to have the same union. They're doing the same tasks, doing the same things, could see, receive the same punishment. But because right now, the way our federal laws have been so screwed up over time, these workers have um, no ability to like really coordinate in the same way. And then finally, um, this is such a, you know, a practice that's been almost law a couple of times, and that is allow workers to come back to a plant and not see automatic striker replacement. These things that employers do where the workers make the toughest decision of their lives, and that is to withhold their work for their uh, and their labor. And employers, you know, will lock them out or on the strike and then re permanently replace them for, for, for the rest of their lives. And it was a, you know, conscious decision to try and make a safer, more equitable workplace. And we've We've gone away from that, and that's one of the things that Proact will remedy as well. Um, you know, so that's just, and that's like the big agenda, and hopefully we can see that move. But there's many smaller things the Biden administration can really do, and that's including um, the, you know, appointing um, pro worker advocates on the. Um, oh, so yeah, that's my that's my next yeah. question. Because oh, really? Oh, <laughs> no, you read my mind. No, because because of because of leadership. I mean, um, you know, you're you're talking about the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB. Um, yeah. In appointing leadership that have pro-worker agenda, agendas and track records uh, so that the agency protects workers instead of corporate interests. Because technically, if you just just the name of it, the National Labor Relations Board, they're really supposed to be there more on behalf of the employees and the workers because the corporations, they have money to burn and they've got lawyers in their pockets up the yin yang. Um, they, they don't need uh, the leadership. Uh, to assist them as much as the workers do. So, so talk to us about that. What is the leadership in the NLRB looked like in the Trump administration versus how you think it might look going ahead in the Biden administration? So, you know, the Trump administration appointed some of the most conservative NLRB um, nominees in decades, um, and they have come at labor rights in, in very technical and extremely unhelpful ways, targeting things that are very simple and straightforward that have been long established practices under labor rights and trying to undermine them. 
And so, you know, we see the NLRB as like very, you know, is, is it, the whole point of the NLRB when it was formed, like the when the legislation was really formed and really Senator Wagner, um, Wagner Act is what the um, National Labor Relations Act is all about, was this idea that workers could seek remedy that would be less time than our courts. And unfortunately, the way that, you know, the Trump NLRB has approached it is, is like to delay and slow the process down and then ultimately like undermine a number of key provisions on the ability for workers to communicate together, um, their free speech rights, a whole host of other areas where it's just um, that the NLRB there made decisions that are adverse to workers' rights when the whole agency was designed to promote workers' rights. So we're really um, looking forward to, and it's going to take a little bit of time because the way these seats are set up, they actually take, um, they go, um, they're not exactly designed to change over with the administration. So we'll probably see a majority change over in, in like September, unless one of the Republican members resigns, which in the past used to be kind of common, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> not these days, Well, well prob probably because at one time, or at least when this first started, the NLRB wasn't really as, uh, you know, partisan as it is now. Would that be a, a fair statement to make? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, that's the sad part is, is that workers' rights for many, um, many people, uh, many conservatives, quite frankly, they see it as uh, something that is abject uh, opposition to something to, op to oppose at all costs. And, you know, that's not, I honestly, like, you know, when you when you work in a workplace and you file a grievance and you just want to make sure you get remedy and you can't get the remedy you need, uh, you've, you know, the NLRB is supposed to be this backstop to help ensure that there's a fair and even process. It was supposed to be a quick, easy process for workers and employers to find remedy on simple issues. And the NLRB, uh, unfortunately, the Trump NLRB politicized themselves into a way that is going to take time to unwind and decades of precedents that they tried to reverse. And, you know, that doesn't help anyone, employer or worker. Oh, no, uh, not, you know, not 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 at all. So b because it's become so partisan and you had mentioned September as being a time when the guard could change, is it within um, Joe Biden's, uh, you know, right a as a president to ask or or to have somebody, you know, overseeing the uh, NLRB? to ask for their resignation and, and want a cleaning of the house? Because I, I got to say, if I were president, I want all new people, especially after what we've experienced for the past, past four years, who our president has been and the types of individuals that have uh, worked among his ranks. Yeah, so I would say, like, you know, Joe Biden's going to run a very fine needle here of, like, respecting precedent. He's from the Senate, so he's going to want to have that desire to kind of honor precedent and you know, and and um, honor the, you know, the institutions, right? The inverse is, is that, you know, Trump really violated a number of institutions, as we all can uh, yes. thoroughly admit. And um, so he's going to have to really take a deep look. And that's, for example, the general counsel. Um, the general counsel of the NLRB, Peter Robb, um, has made extremely terrible decisions. Um, you know, for example, this Kumo case, he chose not to even bring up the workers' rights. Um, on this uh, one particular case. And so we think that there's an opportunity here to, um, you know, if, if push comes to shove, we may have to pay, make that effort. And I think workers will, will definitely ask for that.
And we're back. Thank you for holding. Welcome or welcome back. I'm with Roy Hausman, Legislative Director for the USW, the United Steelworkers. Follow them on Twitter at Steelworkers and follow Roy at Roy Hausman. Uh, Roy, thanks for holding once again. Welcome back. Um, Let's talk about the investment in America's workers um, and also the investment in the environment, which in a sense, if you invest in the environment, you know, you're also investing in your worker because of their workspace, you know, and, and you know, the workplace, that environment that they're working in. Um, th- there's so much to talk about here. We have a crisis with in- infrastructure in this country. We've had uh, for years, um, a- actually through the past couple of administrations, where we've had a D minus rating with our roads and bridges. Um, and I know the Biden administration very much wants to address infrastructure and the crisis here in our nation and do it through investments to modernize uh, our cities and our rural areas. Um, this is something that you would think uh, that would get bipartisan support. It's a job creator. It helps make America safer and it helps make America safer for our kids and our grandkids. What's the likelihood now? Is it looking good because we have a you know Democrat in the White House, a Democrat in the House and the Democrat in the Senate majority? Yeah, so I think, yeah, I mean, the this is a key thing that's going to happen over the, the course of this year. Um, there's some natural push points. Um, you know, you're looking at uh, eight, and then there's some legislative vehicles from the last Congress that, you know, need a little bit of a tune-up, and they'll probably get running right off the bat. Um, last Congress, there was a bill the Democrats in the House passed called uh, HR2, Moving America yeah. Forward. Um, that legislation had uh, not just a reauthorization of your surface transportation, which is like your roads, bridges, and um, you know your transit um, uh, items, but also incorporated uh, Rebuild America Schools Act, which would put $100 billion into schools uh, across the country, and another and a whole host of other um, clean energy and clean uh, provisions as well to try and improve our nation's infrastructure and ensure that, you know, the, the money we spend going to and from work, you know, under normal times um, would, you know, would save you, you know, save you time, get there faster and, you know, improve our nation's ability to compete internationally. Because just the same as, you know, when you're stuck in traffic, so is that semi trying to take goods across the globe, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, we see this as an opportunity. HR2 will very likely kind of get refurbished and move forward a bit, but then Biden's going to probably move forward with his infrastructure plan as well. And a lot of that incorporates uh, like Buy America provisions, um, which we're very, you know, the union's been very supportive of in the past. So, you know, when, when you look at some of the other things that are being proposed, uh, one would come under the umbrella. People think of environment, they think of climate change, a lot of them, and they think, oh, Democrats, you know, you know, climate change is so important to Democrats. Um, but I, I think they don't understand, and I'd like you to speak to this, when you increase attention toward clean technology and efficient manufacturing processes, it's not just part of some really far left-wing, radical, progressive, democratic agenda. Um, it, it's it's really keeping with the times um, you know, w- with not just the global economy, but the reality of where technology is heading and has to be heading and, and where manufacturing is heading and has to be heading, correct? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think of this example of um, low-carbon um, fuel standards where they lowered the sulfur content in your gasoline. And, you know, the industry kind of pushed back against it for a long time. And 
but at the end of the day, the rest of the world was moving to the same lower um, sulfur standard. And if the rest, if the domestic um, refining industry, for example, wanted to actually sell gasoline and products overseas, they had to meet that same lower requirement. And if we don't do that for, you know, and they did, and they complied, and it actually has been beneficial and lower sulfur content across the, and it allowed for more advanced technologies like better, um, you know, the carburetors and stuff that helps um, clean out your, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, mufflers, um, the mufflers. Our members um, make the uh, make the mufflers and mine the palladium, uh, actually, that comes that goes into those products. And in order to make those advanced new technologies, they needed a lower sulfur content gasoline, for example. But that's just like, you know, and that's just one example there. But these clean technologies, they need the rest of the globe is moving towards them very fast. Um, and if we aren't smart in how we do it, we're going to lose the basic manufacturing infrastructure needed to, to build the wind, the solar, all of those pieces that are so important to um, the next generation of energy technology. Um, and, you know, from our members' perspective, like, that's, those are, that's work to be had. There's a ton of steel, a ton of copper, cup, with other materials that can be put into these um, future wind power and um, solar power. I uh, was reading recently um, ArcelorMittal, which um, now sold a bunch of assets to Cleveland Cliffs, where our members work. You know, they indicated that up to 35 tons of steel for every megawatt of solar power. Um, that's all of the metal that goes into to hold that those solar panels up. And so when you think about that, that's a lot of opportunity for our members to work and a lot of opportunity for Americans to find work if we do it right. You know, when you mention, you know, uh, specifically, you know, the steel, one of the things that really disappointed me as an American and a taxpayer when you have somebody talking about making America great again and you're talking about increasing manufacturing, yet you're still buying steel from China. Um, do you think we'll see less of that? Uh, because to me, that's really a good way to get tough on China is to say, you know, we don't need you for that. You know, uh, you know, and, and, and also, why would we want with the deep minus and in infrastructure to have watered down steel, if you will, which is what we're getting from the Chinese. I always say it when you buy three T-shirts for 10 bucks is a reason there's three T-shirts for 10 bucks. Right. So it's, it's the same with steel. Um, you know, being at the United Steelworkers is there hope that in the steel industry, um, there will be less, uh, you know, negotiations or contracts for steel um, made between the United States and China. Yeah, I, I think that there's this effort here to recognize that there's a number of things in the A, we need demand. And that means a safe working environment for millions of people related to COVID crisis. Two, we need major infrastructure investments with Buy America requirements to ensure that the steel is being, you know, developed here, um, a new policy is really kind of coming into into fashion, and we're wrapping our arms around is this concept of buy clean, which in, says that the infrastructure needs to hit certain, um, you know, greenhouse gas emission thresholds, and a lot of our steel plants already do that. I mean, they meet those thresholds. So it's a question of like ensuring that we get the policy right. And that's the best part about working for the steel workers is being so close to that right now and being able yeah. to help you know, craft it so it does not adversely impact our members. And so those things, they're, they're coming together. And I think that if we, we, you know, if we if we work on building it up in the right way, we have this opportunity as opposed to this last four years where it felt like any, you know, it, we can build a wall and then tear down the other side. But at the end of the day, if you build up a wall and you don't invest in your own plants and your own materials, you're 
you aren't you're you're creating an opportunity for when that when those lev when that water rises again the water is going to come right over that that wall or levee and so we have to do a little bit of both right we have to maintain what we had and then also invest in our own in our own um, workers in our own facilities and that's something i think that's going to be really helpful um, and i think that that's there's an appetite for that in congress you know, it's funny. Somebody said uh, once, I think on Twitter, I read it and I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, building a wall doesn't just keep people out. It keeps us in, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which can be a good or bad thing. right? Um, uh, speaking uh, not just about steel, um, but there is definitely a push by the Biden administration um, to hire American to buy American, right? Using American labor to manufacture materials domestically for infrastructure projects, purchasing American-made materials for construction uh, projects. Do you think that with like the, you know, even more uh, bitter taste in our mouths as Americans after COVID due to China and the lies about this virus that they perhaps could have contained and we wouldn't have, have our lives uprooted and you wouldn't be looking at me with a fake background and my dog barking, right? And we wouldn't all be going, Hey, Roy, we know you bike. <laughs> you know? And I love the gray and white stripes on the wall. You know, <laughs> um, uh, if, if, but at the end of the day, do, do you think the Biden administration might be successful with that? Because, uh, you know, more Americans want to invest in Americans, help people get back to work. We've seen that with the mom and pop coffee shops, right, versus the, the huge corporations. Um, is there more confidence if you could say a lemon, a lemon, you know, get lemons, make lemonade, the lemonade that you get from COVID, you know, you know, could it be that, you know, Americans turn away from buying made in China? Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, the federal government is, you know, a massive um, job generator and, and can really set policy that goes a long way. And Joe Biden and the 117th Congress really does have a responsibility to a uplift workers and B, like take that time and invest in our infrastructure in the right way and that maximize our our tax dollars. And that's really what Buy America policy really is about, is maximizing our tax dollars, ensuring that the that the jobs that you create, um, you know, that they happen uh, here in this country and hopefully allow us then to export into others. So. Absolutely. I mean, I, th I think the working class has clearly spoken, right? They elected a pro-labor candidate to office. Um, and now, you guys, it's up to you to push for a swift passage of all this legislation and these policies that can protect not only our current working force, but future generations like my kids of the working class. More than a pleasure to have you with us. I hope you and your family are safe, Roy. Roy Hausman, Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers. Check out the website, usw.org. On Twitter, follow the Steelworkers at Steelworkers and follow Roy at Roy Hausman. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back with you tomorrow for the inauguration. The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. So making it home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. In your attic, fully covered means fully insulated. If you can see your rafters, you're losing heat and money. But with the Home Depot, it's easy to add blow-in insulation yourself in just a few hours. And you'll save up to 15% on heating and cooling costs for years to come. Winter temps are here, so are winter heating bills. Are you covered? Right now, get a free blow-in machine rental when you purchase 10 bags or more of select blow-in insulation. Only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done.